Approaching the two-minute warning here in Arlington over the middle. Caught. Touchdown, Greg Jennings. It is February 8th, 2011. I am Steve Bennett from Buffalo, New York. The Sportscaster's on the air with my co-host Donald Russ. How are you doing, Donnie? Awesome. How are you doing? Doing really good. Disappointed that football is over. Hopefully it's only over for the standard amount of time and that there's not <laughs> going to be some long, crazy lockout or anything. Yeah, it doesn't look good so far. But this is the week where everyone has to come to grips with the fact that football is over. There's no more Sundays, Thursdays, Mondays left what to do now as a sports fan as a sports podcast what do you do without the nfl this podcast has never aired without nfl games as a crutch to talk about that's true (laughs) but over the next couple weeks we are going to make a huge effort to talk about the other sports the sports that you can't really talk about much during the nfl playoffs because that's just such a huge part of what's going on in sports is the nfl and even college football And we've talked about both extensively the last month or so. But now we're going to have to turn to other sports. And you know what? I thought last week we did a great job. We had a really good football show, really good Super Bowl um, podcast. We had Dave Damashek from NFL.com. We had Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders. And we had Rob Domofsky from the Green Bay Post-Gazette. And you know what? We're keeping the momentum up this week. We have two great guests for everyone today. We have John Butchergrass from ESPN.com and ESPN, Sports Center anchor, formerly on the NHL Tonight. Just a great, great guy. We're going to interview him in a little bit. And then at the end of the show, we're going to interview a television critic. You might not like hockey. Uh, you might not want to get into that now that football's over, but you might want to get into television a little bit more, watching what shows to watch. Maybe pick up a DVD set of an old show. You like watching TV that way, Don? Love it. I love it. Like You can just roll the episodes one after another, and we're going to talk a little bit with... Uh, with Daniel Feinberg from HitFix.com about television. A little bit something different on the sportscasters. But a couple of things before we get going. The website, it's up, it's running, it's beautiful. It's www.sportscasters.com. And you can, you can uh, check it out. We're both going to have some blogs up there. Uh, the message board is up, set up. The, the guest section is looking really good. Uh, we're going to get some more content up there. Uh, so the podcast is run. It's www.sports-casters.com. You can also find us on Twitter. Uh, we, all, we, all, we love Twitter. We always talk about Twitter. Both of our guests today are on Twitter. <laughs> uh, it's sport, at sports Un- underscore casters. casters. And then you can also find us on Facebook, uh, www.facebook.com slash thesportscasters. And you can always email us some info. Um, at thesportscasters at gmail.com. So just a couple things there. But why don't we get into the Super Bowl with a special edition of three things, the Super Bowl edition. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. (laughs) This is the funnest night ever. (laughs) Let's move on to other 
All right, three things. Three things I seen last week. We're gonna all do, we're gonna both do three Super Bowl things. That's right. My first thing. You know what? The Super Bowl was about what I thought it would be. The game. Um, it kind of played to script. It kind of was what I expected. I expected there to be a lot of points. There was. There was over fifty points scored. Uh, I expected Aaron Rodgers to be a stud. He was the MVP. I expected the Packers, the Packers to win by a relatively small margin. And, uh, you know, it was what I thought it was, I yeah, think. You know, it kind of just played to the script. It, the Steelers made a run. Uh, they came up a little short. The one thing that did surprise me is the pouncy injury didn't seem to have as big of an effect on the game as I thought. Roethlisberger got hit on the first interception, but the offensive line play was not that big of a factor for the Steelers, I didn't think. I thought they held up fine. So that was the only surprise. But other than that, my first thing is just the Super Bowl was what I thought it was. Yeah, for two lines that give up a bunch of sacks, neither one really was a factor. And two teams on defense that get a bunch of sacks. I mean, I think there was a total of maybe four in the game, and I only one, I think, on Roethlisberger. So both lines did as good a job as you can expect for those teams against those defenses. Yep. My first thing isn't directly related to sports, but it is related to the Super Bowl. Uh, homeownership sucks. I woke, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I woke up Sunday morning to uh, start cleaning the house a little bit. We were having some friends, some family over for the game. And apparently, because of the lovely Buffalo weather, I must have had like an ice dam on the roof that caused a leak in my bay window in my kitchen. So I woke up to that, and I had to put some buckets in the window for the Super Bowl game. But yeah, it's... Not something I'm looking forward to, assessing this situation and opening my checkbook for that. You know, the weather on the entire, in the entire country, really, has been terrible yeah. the last month or so. I mean, the weather affected you. You had some drips. Someone was actually critically injured when ice fell off of Jerry Jones's stadium in Texas. Onto them? Yeah. Really? I mean, Texas has bad weather. 39 states out of 50 had snow last week. I mean, it's just been a brutal, brutal winter. Yeah. And yeah, as a homeowner, I... I I'm already sick of shoveling. <laughs> Drew Carey, before he uh, be- took over his Prices Right hosting duties, actually did stand-up. He's, he had a joke talking about global warming. He's like, I live in Cleveland. I don't see global warming. He's like, I stand outside my house with aerosol cans just waiting for it to come. Yeah, we don't see it here either. I no, mean, it's been... Absolutely not. This entire, con- the entire country of the United States, especially the East Coast, has been hammered with snow. I saw the totals for New York City. They're like triple their average. Philadelphia's been hit really hard. Washington, D.C. has been hit really hard. So it's been a tough week. A uh, tough year for, for yeah, winter. Yeah, for sure. All right, my number two. I hate having to care about Super Bowl commercials. <laughs> I hate it. I hate the whole Super Bowl commercial culture. And I have a theory about it. When we were younger, in the 80s, a little bit in the 90s, the Super Bowl sucked. The games were terrible. It would always be a blowout. Uh So I think when the game was bad, we leaned on the commercials to kind of entertain us. Right. But the last 10 years, with the way the league is, the Sarah Cap era, the games have been much better. And I don't need the distraction of the commercials. I don't want it. I don't like it. I don't care. They're stupid. I don't need to see a ranking of it. I want it. It's the last <laughs> football game of the year. You know, it's really, really good. Two teams playing for the Lombardi Trophy. That's enough for me. I don't need the commercials. Yeah, especially recent history. They've been about as good as you can get. I mean, early in the 2000s, there were some bad ones like uh, the Bal- Giants Baltimore and Giants yeah. and uh, Oakland. Tampa wasn't very good. But lately, they've been, they've been very, very good. Uh, my second thing. 
Green Bay's toughest opponent in the game might have been their their wide receivers' hands. Mm. I mean, the game might not have been as close as it was if uh, James Jones doesn't drop Ooh. what would have been a touchdown. He was gone. Nelson had at least three drops, and I don't. They probably didn't credit him with a drop on the one, but he laid out for one that he probably could have caught right through his arms. That would have been yep, a long, long one. Uh, Brett Swain. I don't know. If, I've never heard of him before this game. But he was a nightmare. Like he couldn't catch anything thrown to him. He had that one fumble, not a fumble, whatever, and. Uh, to kind of tag on to that, Troy Palomalu was – that's the worst game I've ever seen him play. Where was he? Was he there? Did he play? Yeah. He, the only time – I mean, he made a few highlights, but for all the wrong reasons. I mean, as a Bills fan that's used to watching Dante Whitner, like, in the frame as someone else scores, that was Palomalu. He was, he was terrible. I think he got credited with three tackles in the game, and that's it. I don't even know if he had a pass defended. Yeah, that was about as bad as he could play. And the Steelers needed him. Absolutely. And yeah, in that game him. – I think we discussed this. I don't remember if it was on a podcast or off the air, but he can be beat by good, smart quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. He relies a little bit too much on instincts sometimes. I remember when the Saints played the Steelers this year, Drew Brees said, you can kind of trick him to think what he thinks is right, and it's not, and you can take advantage of him and get him out of position. I think Aaron Rodgers did a great job yeah. of just keeping him in the middle of the field and freezing him, and he was, he was terrible. My number three... I thought Fox did a great job broadcasting the game. Now, I didn't watch a ton of the pregame show. We were actually watching the Dog Super Bowl. Did you see the Dog Super Bowl? You know what? We turned it on afterward. My wife is a uh, dog lover, so the Puppy Bowl. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We have uh, watched it in the past, and I noticed it was on. And that thing's not short either. It runs like the entire length of the Super Bowl. hours and hours long, and it's funny that they pretend like the dogs Are playing some sort of game. Yeah. But uh, when I did finally turn it on to the... The coverage of the actual game. I saw the interview with Bill O'Reilly and the president. That I thought, was good. I thought it was great. Yeah, that was, that was I really, really enjoyed it. I think Barack Obama's a really cool dude. We don't talk politics on this show. Right. And I don't care about his politics either way. I just think he's a cool guy. I enjoyed that. And then when they got to the game, I thought Buck and Aikman did a great job. Pam Oliver on the sideline and Chris Myers on the sideline, they were very informative. They had good things. You know, with the Woodson injury, they were on top of it. And I just thought that the broadcast of the game was really good. I know a lot of people hate Joe Buck because he's kind of uptight and he's not enough fun. And Artie Lang humiliated him on his show, <laughs> but he's good. He's good at letting yeah, the game. Him. He's good at letting the game just kind of talk for itself. He's not too much. He's not like a Gus Johnson who makes a game about him. Right, right. I liked it, and I just enjoyed the coverage. I, I'm not an Aikman fan at all. Maybe it's because of the Bills, but. He, he's one of them guys, and I know that's what a lot of color guys do. He, he does a lot of pointing out the obvious. He made a comment at the end of the game that, like, a three here would be good, but a touchdown here would be great. Like, okay, thanks, Troy. You know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, there was another thing that I didn't – I should have wrote down, but I, there was something else at the end of the game. I might have tweeted about it, but he made a, a real – he just points out the obvious a lot, and it, that happens a lot in football games, and I'm not sure who tells the color guys to just kind of say what you're seeing, but it – it's not just him. So, I mean, I guess I couldn't nail him particularly for it, but yeah, I was gonna, they don't add a lot. I was going to say that that's one of the toughest jobs in sports broadcasting as a color guy in football. Collinsworth so I, is great at it, though. He is great. He's the best. But the thing about the Super Bowl is there's so many non-football fans watching the Super Bowl. Right, right. You figure 111 million people. or Did I say that right? It, yes. Yeah. 100, 111 million. Right. Right. Watch the game. Well... What percentage of them really know the game? And what percent do you need to explain the game to? And it's a really it's a right, tough right. balance. Um, not to get uh, Troy off the hook because he, he is 
tough, but I, I think he did a good job. I just thought the broadcast was good. And they used uh, Mike Piera the one time. Really good use for him. Slipped him in. I liked it. I liked the broadcast. Is my third thing? Yep, your All third right. thing. Speaking of Mike Piera, I mean, not really speaking of him, but uh, the refs. I noticed afterward, like in the Twitterverse and online and stuff, people were pretty critical of the refs. I didn't notice it. Like, maybe I missed something, but there was a bad face mask call on a punt return. Yep. The catch fumble might have been questionable, but that's because we have the benefit of, like, slow motion. In real time, it doesn't really look like a catch. He gets, and, and there was nothing you could overturn on that replay, I don't think. Right. So my question, I guess it was more of a question than an opinion. I didn't see the refs as being bad. I mean, no, I thought the refs did a pretty good job. I think Steelers fans would say that in the first half of the game, there was a couple calls there that they didn't get. Uh, the last play of the game uh, was one that maybe could have been a call, but I think it was a good non-call. See, I didn't. See, that's one of the things I looked at, and that's that. That was the one I was going to say about Aikman. He said that's a good non-call. I. W- when I watched it again, I didn't see any contact with the guy, unless it was before he went up in the air for it they were talking about. Yeah. Because I didn't see any contact, so I didn't even think it was a good non I thought it was a no-brainer non-call. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I thought the refs did a fine job. I mean, when you get to the Super Bowl, they're the best of the best. And, you know, last year's Super Bowl, which I've watched 300 times, <laughs> uh, they were great as well. And uh, I thought they did a good job this time, and... Yeah, the fact that they're they're not part of the or at least they, I didn't feel they should have been part of the story is a good thing. And I might say that the NFL has the worst refs in all sports. Probably. So to say that the Super Bowl was done really well, I think is a story because sometimes the refs can be really bad in the NFL. Yep. All right. Well, that's three things for today. Uh, three things about the Super Bowl. Now going forward, here's what we got. I mentioned it off the top and repeat it. Next. We're going to bring in John Butchergrass. We're going to talk a little hockey, talk a little ESPN. Then we're going to come back. We're going to update you on the book club. We're going to go over the book club again. And then we're going to have the last interview of the day with Daniel Feinberg of hitfix.com. And then we're going to come back with pick four. So we're going to stop for a second. And when we come back, we will have John Butchergrass from ESPN on the Sportscasters. All right, we're back on the Sportscasters. Very, very excited about our next guest, who's from Steubenville, Ohio. He's a graduate of Hildenburg University, located in Tiffin, Ohio. In 2007, he wrote the life story of former NHL player and current NHL analyst Keith Jones. The book was called Jonesy, Put Your Head Down and Skate, and it's still available on Amazon.com. Currently, he lives in South Windsor, Connecticut, where he works as an anchor for ESPN. His on-air duties include the Grammy-winning Sports Center and Baseball Tonight. He formerly worked on an Emmy-nominated NHL Tonight. Also, from 2001 to 2010, Butchergrass authored a weekly NHL column for ESPN.com. A huge, warm sportscasters welcome to the great John Butchergrass. How are you doing today, John? Doing great. Great to be here. We're really happy to have you today. It's our first, uh, first person from the worldwide leader to appear on the sportscasters, so you're in uh, rare form here. All right. Awesome. All right. Well, I want to talk a little puck right away because I know you're a big hockey guy, and I want to know what you think about the Penguins' injuries um, Crosby is out at least until March. Uh, Malkin just went down for the year. Tyler Myers unfortunately fell on his leg. Uh, they just have gotten Jordan Stahl back. How do you think the Penguins are going to hold up with all the injuries down the middle? 
Well, obviously, it's devastating. Crosby, you know, the last five years has averaged the most points per game. Alex Ovechkin second, and Evgeny Malkin third. So when you have the two of the top three point per game producers, obviously you're a major threat to win the Stanley Cup every year. Uh, they won it two years ago. The year before that, they were in the finals. And so this was a team that I'm sure thought they had a great chance to get back there this year. Uh, now, the, qu- the, you know, the bigger picture question is, you know, assuming Crosby comes back eventually healthy from his concussion and can play the rest of the year without any more time off, could they win the Stanley Cup without a Denny Malkin? And again, it would be a bigger challenge because he's a great scorer to have in the playoffs, especially as goal scoring in the playoffs is tougher. But uh, I think there's a shot. Obviously, they'll make a trade because they have $7 million, actually $8.7 million worth of cap space since Malkin's on long-term injury reserve. And with Cosby as a number one center, and Jordan Stahl is certainly ready to be a number two center, um, I think they, if they can go out and make a pretty good deal, I think they, have, they still have a shot to win the Eastern Conference. It'll be very difficult. I think the Flyers are the favorite, but I still think the Penguins, because they have great team unity, they're getting good goaltending this year, which they didn't get last year in the playoffs, and they have good defense. But they can, if they can somehow scrounge together enough goals, I still think they can be a threat in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I think undoubtedly uh, Marc-Andre Fleury is having his best season in the NHL. And it's kind of funny because I discussed with you before in your column uh, the famous, definitely famous now, 2003 NHL entry draft where the Penguins took Marc-Andre Fleury with the first pick and Eric Stahl was the second pick and Thomas Vanek was in that draft and Dion Phaneuf and Patrick Eves and uh, Jeff Carter and Mike Richards and the list goes on and on and on. Do you think with the injuries they have now, looking back, the Penguins would trade if they could somehow change that pick? Do you think they'd stick with having the dominant goalie back there right now as Fleury has come to be? Well, the save he made on Nicholas Lindstrom certainly validated any reason why that was a good pick. Uh, to clinch the Stanley clinch Cup, Cup yep. with that kind of save, uh, certainly to me, you know, they wouldn't trade that pick. Uh, that's one of the most famous moments in Pittsburgh sports history. It's right up there with Bill Mazeroski's Game 7 home run against the Yankees and Santonio Holmes' catch against the Cardinals to, to win the Super Bowl. It's right there. Um, he's very athletic, and he was big in that game and that series. And, you know, going forward, it looks like his form is back. He was terrible last year, but it looks like he's back now. He's still young enough that he should validate. Certainly Eric Stahl is a great player, but the last thing the Penguins need when healthy is a center. They have Crosby, they have Malkin, and Jordan Stahl. They all fulfill just perfectly complement each other perfectly. You couldn't have better complementing centers than those three guys. So uh, now I think in the end, because of that Cup victory, they would they would that draft would about stay the same. Now, what did you think of twenty four seven? Because as we're talking about the Penguins here, I can't help but think that they do have tremendous leadership. Because I thought uh, their coach came over brilliantly in the twenty four seven. What were your overall impressions of the NHL giving us a glimpse? Uh, behind the scenes into the two locker rooms. Yeah, it was awesome. It was great TV, and certainly, uh, you know, I have a lot of friends who play in the NHL, so I kind of know what goes on. I've heard the practical jokes. I've heard, uh, uh, you know, the dialogue that goes on on the ice, and so you know, none of it was too shocking or surprising, but it was still great television, and like you said, it really kind of uh, illustrated the ecosystem of the Penguins and, and how they're run and, and their coach how good he is in the locker room and his great demeanor and how uh, systematic they are despite having all their great talent. And uh, and just it really the camaraderie of the team, I think that's the biggest strength of the Penguins is how well they get along and uh, and how close of the team they are. 
and that is certainly one of the most important factors in a hockey team. And uh, and they have it. And so that's the question is, do other teams like the Capitals have it long term through a through a playoff series? So it, it was a great it was a, you know, a, a great look inside what makes what has made the Penguins so good, winning that cup, getting to the finals the year before, and uh, and always being a threat. Now, ownership is a huge plus in Pittsburgh, too, having Mario Lemieux in the owner's box. I'm sure that can't hurt. And we're based in Buffalo, and we're very, very excited right now about the ownership change of Terry Peluga coming in to uh, own the Sabres. What have you heard about the ownership change? How excited should we be in Buffalo? Do you know anything about the guy? I know he donated a lot of money to Penn State Hockey to get them going as a D1 program. Yeah, Penn State, they're going to get into the uh, college hockey fray, and he donated a large part of money, and they're going to, you know, I'm sure them coming into the scene will probably form some sort of Big Ten hockey conference. Right now there isn't a Big Ten hockey conference, but with the Big Ten television network, I'm sure they would love to have that, and they could probably form a Big Ten school with you know Michigan, Michigan State, Wisconsin, Wisconsin yep. Minnesota, and Ohio State. So that, that could be a great thing for television and college hockey is getting that Big Ten conference. It's a good brand name. Uh, the television side of it's great, the exposure. So that that is exciting. And, you know, as far as the Sabres, who knows? Uh, you know, they're not a high-revenue team compared to some of the other teams in the league. So you don't know how much he's willing to spend or how much he's willing to lose on a year-to-year basis. Um, if he would lose money, you know, you just don't know. So going forward, it'd be interesting to see what happens with the GM and the coach and and how much how aggressive they are and, uh, in signing free agents, keeping their own. And they've been pretty aggressive anyway. They have a lot of players who make some pretty good money with Palmondville and Bannock and, and Roy. They've certainly got fair deals. And Ryan Miller. Really? So uh, the Sabres have played very well lately. They certainly have an outside chance at the playoffs. They have a lot of games in hand. They got to win those games, and uh, it'll be tough. Um, but at least they they're putting on a run here, putting up some fight. Now, what do you think about Darcy Regeer and Lindy Ruff? Do you think they can survive another ownership change? Do as someone outside in the media, do you view Darcy Regeer as someone who is a good GM, an average GM, a bad GM? Uh, well, certainly, uh, what happened with. Uh, Daniel Briere and Chris Drury, he probably could have locked them up. I don't think they had the foresight at the importance of those two players. I know Drury hasn't played well since then, and maybe he wouldn't have played well in terms of offensive production had he stayed in Buffalo. Uh, we don't know that for sure, but uh, you know that certainly wasn't handled too well. That was and the, you know, the Jason Pollenville contract, he is certainly overpaid. So I don't see by his record how, if I'm an owner and I'm buying that team, I wouldn't have him around. Um, I would start fresh again and start with someone new. And as far as Lindy Roth, he's been very successful. Again, they're playing well now. He's a good coach. He's a proven coach. Um, I wouldn't. I would keep him um, unless again I don't know all the internal workings and the relationships and the vibe and the energy level and how the players respond. But at least from afar, I would give him the benefit of the doubt. Switching gears a little bit, what do you think Peter Forsberg has left? I was a pretty, I was kind of surprised to see him sign with Colorado yesterday. Well, he's very comfortable, obviously, with that organization. Uh, he likes the city. Um, he likes the organization. Um, he won a couple cups there. So, but you just don't know until he gets. He, you know, he hasn't played in the best hockey league in the world uh, for a while. So you just don't know how he's going to uh, perform. But it's certainly terribly exciting. Um, He's just you know, one of the greatest players of all time. He's a future Hall of Famer, um, just an absolute artist on the ice, and I can't wait to see how he looks. Uh, once we get the word when he plays, I'll certainly be watching the Sunrise Package that night just to see how he looks. 
The Sportscaster's here with John Butchergrass. We've got a few minutes left. Uh, of course, you can watch John on ESPN, and you can follow him on Twitter at Butchergrass. Uh, what was being your biggest surprise in the NHL this season? Uh, I would say the Forsberg thing was a big surprise yesterday, but is there any teams that have surprised you, any specific player performances that have surprised you? Well, certainly the play of Dallas in the Western Conference has surprised me. Um, I didn't know if they had enough on the back end. Didn't think they had enough goaltending because Perry Lentman just didn't prove to be a big-time goaltender, but he's proven that. And uh, they've really come together. I knew, you, know, you knew they had great forwards. They had a great forward group. Uh, with all that they had, and if Brad, Brad Richards, Richards walked yep. here, I thought maybe he'd be traded. But they got really good for a good mix of forwards, uh, set up guys, character guys, tough guys, goal scorers like Louis Erickson. So they've certainly been a big surprise to me. And I knew Tampa would be good, and I, they were my dark horse team coming into this year. I thought they would make the playoffs, but I didn't think they'd be this good. Uh, but certainly they are right there in the mix in the Eastern Conference. They have maybe the MVP in Steven Stamkos. Martin St. Louis is ageless. Vinny Hotavier is trying to reinvent himself. I think Stevie Y has helped that. He's just playing a gritty, gutty, grinding game using his size. He's not a great skater, so he needs to use his size and his great hands near the net. And, uh, and, it, and so they're very surprising how they've come back. And, uh, and I thought Chicago would drop off a little bit, but I didn't think they would have a chance to miss the playoffs. But uh, that's something to watch for. What did you think of the All-Star game? Did you enjoy the three-day, three different days with the draft and then the skills competition, which kind of seemed a little stale to me, but, and then the game itself? How did you feel about All-Star weekend and the changes that the NHL has made? I enjoyed, I enjoyed the drafting part very much. I thought that was very interesting. I thought maybe actors might be an interesting, or comedians would be a good way maybe to do it next year. Have Dennis Leary and, say, Bobby Orr pick one team and maybe have another... Uh, comedian, maybe Mike Myers and like a Gordy Howe pick the other team or something like that. Right. And that might be kind of fun to do, or the, you know, the legend of the host city. Um, just add a little more personality. But overall, I enjoyed that. And I always liked the skills competition. I, th- I just, I, I, I always have enjoyed it. And I hardly ever watched the game. In fact, I didn't watch the game at all. <laughs> but to me, the, the, the weekend gets worse as it goes along. And uh, they, I think they have to come up with something, whether it's four on four or whether it's four on four plus each team has a skating monkey on the team. <laughs> Just something for the All-Star game I think they need to do to, to get the interest. But, hey, it, it rated very well. And that's all that matters. Um, outside the Winter Classic, it's probably the highest rated game there is. So, uh, you know, the people are watching. So as long as the people will watch, they'll keep having it. Now, this year, NHL, the NHL is done with their contractual agreements with NBC and Versus. Do you think now that the ratings have been good, ESPN could come back into the mix and be a part of the NHL, or do you think they'll want to stick with being the main thing on Versus? Or do you think maybe there'll be a three-way thing, kind of like how the NBA has TNT and they also have ESPN ABC? How do you see the NHL's uh, contracts playing out here on television? Yeah, it certainly could be any of those three scenarios that you laid out, certainly with Comcast buying NBC and that network now starting to get going. It's hard to imagine that they wouldn't be very aggressive to keep the package, whether or not they want the entire package or whether or not they wouldn't mind ESPN having some games and offering some cross-promotion. So, uh, you know, if the game's on ESPN, they could say, hey, tomorrow, game one, Eastern Conference final on, on Versus, or whatever the new name will be. I'm sure they'll rename Versus after the year. Mm-hmm. It'll probably have another new name. Um, so, you know, there's a chance, and there's a chance that NBC could buy the whole thing and then sell some games to ESPN. That's a possibility. Um, so uh, a lot of things could happen. Um, and and you know, ESPN's in the sports programming business. That's what we show, and anything that's good TV, and playoff hockey is certainly good TV, they would be very interested in it. Uh, but, of course, you can't have everything. There's only so much money and so much time, but I would hope would be a part of it. Um, 
but I'm sure NBC Comcast will be uh, very aggressive to keep that property. Yeah, I was fascinated by a column you wrote earlier this year about the United States and how they're developing their hockey players. Uh, It was a very interesting column. You pointed out how USA Hockey has uh, got the development program in Ann Arbor and how they're trying to work on uh, developing big-time players. Would you change that column at all now after the U.S. has you know, got a silver medal again in the World Junior, or would you? I, I, do you feel still feel the same about the way the U.S. is developing players? Yeah, I feel the same way. It's kind of a new concept. You know, they're trying to. You know, the, the development program is obviously very, very successful, and we're, we're you know we're a medal team just about every year now. And like anything, there'll be different waves of gold years and just medal years. And there's also more just about the grassroots, how to teach people, and that's just starting now in terms of having Mike players not playing a full sheet of ice 200 by 85, but having them play in half ice so they're in smaller spaces. That, that's something that's just starting now. So we're not going to see those fruits for years to come. But, you know, those, USA Hockey has gone all over the world to uh, investigate how other countries are doing it, why countries who have so fewer skaters and rinks that we do have just as many uh, elite players. And so they're just finding that, you know, at the smaller ages, you're better off in smaller spaces I think there's a good chance they'll take away checking out of Pee Wee's, which is 11 and 12 year olds. Uh, this summer they'll probably vote on that, which will give kids, you know, take away some of the fear factor at a younger age and get kids from quitting hockey and keeping them in the game. Because um, there is, as kids get older, they tend to drop out as the game gets more malicious uh, with a lot more questionable contact. So, uh, you know, like I said, it, it's very, it's in the early stages. This is just getting going now. So it'll take 10, you know, 10 to 15 years. Um, or maybe seven to 15 years, really, to, to, to start to see the fruits of that change of its culture at USA Hockey. Now, you have a son who plays uh, travel hockey, correct? Is he a AAA player in Connecticut? or No, he's just at a local. We play in our local rank, 11-year-old kid, Wee, 11 years old. Okay. And, uh, and I, I'm not real big into extensive travel hockey or any of these elite programs. And uh, I just think a kid should play in his local town, have fun, play with his friends, and not be driving four hours for an hour game and turn around and drive them back again. So he's just, uh, he has a great time. He loves it, plays in the kitchen, plays with his friends, and that's how I want to be. Right, yeah. So he has a lot of fun. Because, uh, I mean, I know in Western New York, I have a brother who grew up uh, playing AAA travel hockey. Um, he's in the USHL right now, but. We've seen a lot of the you know, ugly politics and some of the stuff you talked about in your other column, the 13 things that the parents should know about raising, right. yeah, about raising hockey players. And I was just wondering what the culture was like in Connecticut, uh, having seen yeah, it here I, in New York. I think it's pretty good. I actually think it's gotten a lot better. I'm an 18-year-old, too, and it just seemed to be more yelling and screaming then. I mean, there's, you still get that. But I think for the most part, uh, the perspective is pretty good. I think the parenting over the years... Um, has definitely, you know, in a lot of ways has gotten better. Maybe some ways it's gotten worse. But I think parents have a better uh, perspective of what goes on. And, uh, you know, and we play travel hockey here in Connecticut. And But I think it's just the perfect level of intensity. Our team doesn't have power play units and penalty killing units. Whoever's up goes up. And I know other coaches don't do that. But I, I think it's a good way to do it at this age. Um, until a kid hits high school or post-puberty, you can't predict what they're going to be like. And, and just, you know, roll out the lines. Everybody plays the same, and, and we practice hard. We demand a lot, but, you know, in the most, in, in the, there's no need to play with a kid's mind at that age. My, my, my first son, it, he, that was kind of the case with him when he was 11 and 10 and 12. You know, there were power play units and PK units and 
and kids who wouldn't play very much in big games. And I just don't think that's the way it should be at that age. Yeah, like like I said, especially during the state years, it seems like the politics really ramp up as everyone kind of gears towards, you know, winning a state championship. It's the biggest deal in the world. You know, my brother, he never won a state championship. He lost in a final. Uh, Jeremy Morin from the U.S. Uh, junior team scored on a penalty shot, and they won one nothing in the state finals. But, you know, he still is in the USHL. He's still going to Yale next year. So it hasn't really hurt him to, you know, not have won a state championship. Everyone puts such a big emphasis on that, at least in New York. It seems like it's such a huge deal. Yeah, it is, it is a big deal. It's a great accomplishment. Like, like I said, my 10-year-old, uh, or my 18-year-old, when he was 10, they won a squirt state championship, and that was a big deal. But, you know, he didn't play a lot in that game. And you could, I just remember after the game, as the kids circled the ice with the trophy, he had that look in his eye like, you know, I, I, didn't, I don't really feel a part of this. And it didn't have to be that way. And people get right. so gung-ho on these penalties that are called in might and squirt games. And like I wrote about before, I think the power play percentage success rate for a squirt or Mike power play is about a half of 1%. No one hardly ever scores anyway. And so, you know, that we get so riled up at some of these penalties that are called and not called. Um, and so I'll never forget that look on his face as, like, you know what, any kid, that he didn't get to play as much as some other kids on the team. And to me, that's not worth winning the state championship. Right. Well, we've talked a lot about your columns, and your columns kind of disappeared since November 30th. Is it going to come back, or do you still plan on writing for ESPN.com, or is that just... Yeah, I, think, I think we should be back soon, so keep clicking on ESPN.com, and certainly on Twitter, I'll let people know, and I always put a link up when the next column is out, so hopefully we'll have a new one up soon. Okay, great. All right, well, it's been very great talking to you. We really appreciate the time. It's John Butchergrass from ESPN. Uh, you can find him on Twitter, at Butchergrass, spelled just like his last name is. What about the, you going to be on Baseball Tonight again this year? How are we going to find you on ESPN in the next couple of weeks? Are you just going to be on SportsCenter, or is your, your role at yeah, ESPN I'm, going to I'm change? On, I'm on every day, noon to 3 Eastern, Monday through Friday. I've done that about a year and a half now. I'm mm-hmm. on with Chris McKendry, so it's nice to have a regular shift. It took a long time, so I had a, at ESPN. Um, so also when I hosted NHL Tonight, that was, yeah, that was a great run, having a regular shift and the same days off. And like I said, I'm, I've been doing the noon to 3 Eastern now for about a year and a half. So, so it's been great. Monday through Friday, same same time, same channel. So it's been a good run. And I'm, what's, the call time for a, what's the call time for a 12 p.m. sports center? We usually get in about, you know, 8.39 and just kind of you know, look over highlights. Certainly we see, you know, the sports centers live on 9 to noon. So we're seeing... We're seeing the highlights. By then, we have a good idea of what happened. Now we just kind of sit there and, and look over the show, throw some ideas out on how we can make it funny or interesting. And, and over the course of the day, stuff happens. Mm-hmm. And uh, the news will break. Trades will happen. People will retire. Reports will come out. And so it's a fun show to do that way because things can change quickly. You can add a little a lot. That's the kind of show I like to do where you can kind of flex, flex different muscles in terms of having discussions about different sports and and offering perspective on different things. So it's a nice show, a challenging show, and I really enjoy it. Now, the NFL ended the other day, and, and you and I, were hockey fans, so we're going to be okay. But what does the average sports fan do now that the NFL has finished? Where, do, where should everyone turn now? What, what's out there in sports that can kind of grab this, the sports fan who's going to miss uh, the NFL now that the games are over? Yeah, I think, well, if you're, I'm thinking your average NFL fan probably is also a baseball fan. I think a decent number of them are. So certainly with spring training starting and, uh, you know, the optimistic part of the baseball season and certainly with the weather we've had here in the Northeast, people yeah, are looking forward to yep. spring. So there's probably an added. And then, you know, some people look forward to the Masters when that happens. There are certainly a good number of college basketball fans that is, you know, a certain demographic. 
and they'll start putting eyeballs towards more games. Ohio State's undefeated, and so they'll look at that. And now the NBA, and, and like you said, these, and some will turn to hockey, and some will turn the NBA, and you know, focus more on the Heat now, and then the Celtics and the Lakers. So there's plenty to watch um, for sure. And uh, but some people, as you know, America cannot get enough football, and so yeah. the NFL draft is always a big watch too. Yeah, absolutely. We'll be uh, seeing McShay and uh, Kuiper on uh, ESPN really soon. So, John Butchergast, we can't thank you enough. Thank you very much for being on the Sportscasters. We really appreciate it, and hopefully we can talk to you another time again soon. You bet. All right. good. Th- Thanks so much for having me. Thank you very much. All right, we are back. That was Awesome. John Butchergrass. He's the man. That was incredible. Can't wait to have him on again. I can't agree more. <laughs> that was really fun. Okay, the dramatic music can only mean one thing. Book club update. Book club update. What do we got, Don? Uh, I'm holding in my hand a copy of Scorecasting. The hidden influences behind how sports are played and games are won, uh, along with their little uh, press kit here. Yeah, so we that's, got a press that's, kit in the mail. That's pretty exciting. And you have your uh, Kindle version, so we could get reading on it. If anyone wants to read at home, it's scorecasting. Get it on Amazon. Get it on uh, any local bookstores, anything like that. I know you just got your hands on it, but I've actually had the electronic version for the last week or so. And I've read the first three chapters, and you know what? It's really, really cool. It's a really, really interesting book. Um, I'm really enjoying it. It really looks at sports in a different way, a lot of ways that I haven't thought. It, it, you know what I like about it? There's one thing we try to avoid on the show is cliches. Yeah. And the book really destroys a bunch of sports cliches. Yeah, in the press kit, they compare it to uh, not only Freakonomics, but also Mythbusters. So that I like Mythbusters, and uh, I'm not going to claim I'm a big reader, but I'm actually looking forward to this. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, too. And uh, we have a section on the website, uh, www.sportscasters.com. If you go to the message board, sports-casters.com. Sports-casters. Thank you. Uh, if you go to the website, you can go to the message board, and then there's a section set up for the book club. And uh, I think we'll just kind of talk back and forth about some things that we read, interesting things. And then John Wertheim, one of the authors, is going to be with us at the end of the month, and we're going to give away a copy of the book. Do you have any good ideas on how we should give away the copy of the book? I do not. Uh, if you're out, if you're out there listening, sign up for the message board and. Uh, let us know. <laughs> yeah, because right now it's still a weekend. It's still number one on Amazon in sports books, so it's selling. And um, I know Richard Deitch, who we had on a few weeks ago from uh, Sports Illustrated, uh, he thought in his big media column that this book is really going to have a big impact on sports. So, yeah, I mean, reading might not be the coolest thing, but we are the coolest thing. So we're going to try to <laughs> we're going to try to use our cool to. Uh, Bring reading to people? Bring reading to people. Wow. You know what's really cool, by the way? I didn't mention it before. It has nothing to do with reading. Okay. But the NFL, as much as I killed on the commercials, how cool is the NFL commercial thanking the fans that had all of the different TV shows with the different NFL uh, paraphernalia on? Did you see the Sopranos guys had the Jets clothes on? You didn't see this I commercial? I don't think I saw it, no. Oh, it's killer. But uh, as cool as that commercial was, this book is. So let's try it out. Let's... <laughs> Let's read this book, uh, the Sportscasters Book Club, in effect. Um, yeah, yeah, so get on the message board, follow us on Twitter, all that jazz, and we'll have some sort of giveaway for the book, too. Yeah. All right, we're going to be right back. We're going to switch gears, and we're going to talk about television. 
And we're going to talk about television with television critic Daniel Feinberg from HitFix.com. Uh, so we'll be right back with, uh, with Mr. Feinberg. Our next guest was born in Oakland, California. He did his undergraduate studies at the University of Pennsylvania and did his graduate studies at USC. He has spent the last 11 years in Los Angeles covering television. You can find his work at hitfix.com, where his blog is called The Fine Print. He also has his own weekly podcast with fellow critic Alan Seppenwall called Firewall and Iceberg Podcast. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Daniel Feinberg. Thanks for having me. How you doing, Dan? It's really great to have you. Um, we've been uh, hooking up on Twitter. I hope you weren't too much of a bother to hook up here for today. <laughs> no, no problem at all. <laughs> all right, great. Well, the reason we wanted to have you on kind of a sports podcast is because it's that time of the year where the football fan who's been occupied, you know, four or five, six days a week on football, college, pro, you got the Monday game, the Thursday games, that's gone. And uh, it's time to find something else to do. And I know one thing that I love to do during the winter is watch television. So we wanted to have an expert television guy on the show today, and you certainly qualify as that. So the first question I have is, if we could only watch one thing a week right now on the networks, what should we be watching? Phew. One thing a week on all of the networks. New or old, which do you prefer? Well, we could take it either way. Okay. One of each. Let's see. Uh, new, and you can just jump right into this one. You can catch up with it on Hulu or on Fox.com or whatever. Um, there's the Chicago Code, which just premiered last night. If people watched the Super Bowl, they probably saw about 50 different advertisements yep. for it. I watched it last night. I, I enjoyed it. Okay. Um, yeah. It's it's the new cop drama from Sean Ryan, who some people would know from The Shield and other people might know from Terriers. And if you don't know him for Terriers... That's probably why Terriers isn't coming back. Right. Now, it did about a 2.4 rating. Is that right? Is, that gonna, is it going to sustain? Is this a show, if we get into it, it's going to be on long term? Or do you think Fox is kind of on the fence with it? Um, I think Fox is not going to be on the fence in terms of a first season. I think Fox does not have anything else to offer. So I think you're safe to tune in and watch a first season. Know that there will be 13 episodes. Know that there will be an arc that will carry through in those episodes. Now, do I know what the show's long-term potential is with the opening numbers it did last night? Probably they're not terrific, but who knows? If it holds those numbers, it'll be fine. So, knock on wood, I guess. Right, okay, so that's a new show. What about maybe an old show that's out there on uh, on syndication or, or had... Well, I mean, the best, the best old show on television, unfortunately, is one that's coming to an end uh, tomorrow night, and one that I hope that your listeners have been watching, and that would be Friday Night Lights on DirecTV, but it will be coming back to NBC uh, April 15th. So, I don't know if you... Do you watch Friday Night Lights? Yeah, um, I actually have been watching it on DirecTV on 101. Um, great station. You can actually watch The Wire on there. I want to talk to you about The Wire, too, maybe in a few minutes, but... Um, yeah, Friday Night Lights is definitely a good show for football fans too. Although it's not really about football, but there, you know, there's a little bit of a tie-in. People always say it's not about football, but that's the sort of thing that people who don't like football say about it. It's the way of justifying the show, right? I, I feel like I, I feel like it's very much a show about football. What do you think about Piers Morgan? Have you watched his show at all? How, how do you like it so far? 
I, I've watched a couple seconds of it. He he just sort of tires me out. Uh, there, there's too much Piers Morgan, regardless of who he's talking to. It's too much just Piers Morgan really talking to himself, and and that doesn't really do anything for me. I would say. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, my girlfriend, she's got me, she's got me wrapped into Chuck, and we're going kind of all over the place here, but that's okay. That's what we wanted. Is Chuck going to get another season? If you'd asked me that three weeks ago, I would have said, yes, against all odds, Chuck is going to get another season. Looking at the ratings for the past couple episodes, they've shown a little bit of a dip, and I guess I'm not as enthusiastic as I might have been a couple weeks ago. I mean, I would, I would love to see it get another season, and certainly NBC is in such a horrible um, state of disrepair that, that it might still sneak in just because it's got that audience, that audience that loves it, even if it's a tiny audience. But I don't know. This, this is one where we're all just going to be knocking on wood because, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of Chuck. I would love to see it keep going. Um, it has settled into whatever audience it has. It's not going to get bigger. It doesn't matter how much it gets promoted at this point, but I really hope that it sticks around. What do you think about Keith Olbermann's new gig? You think he's going to stick, or you know, do you think it's a good move for him, or do you think uh, he should have done something different? I think that he obviously felt like of the choices that he wanted, he wanted to be the big fish in the small pond. He wanted to be the man. He didn't want to have to sort of cede to the Joe Scarboroughs of the world. He didn't want to be on... He didn't want to be on another network where somebody else was going to get the spotlight. So he went to Current, and Current is now going to become the Keith Oberman network. I mean, that's all that anyone is going to know about the, the network. It used to right. be that it used to be that thing that Al Gore had something to do with, but you couldn't have told anyone what he had to do with it. Um, now it's the Keith Oberman network, and so the threshold is going to be very low. Nobody knew what it was twelve hours ago. Now, <laughs> dozens of people. right, dozens. I have two guilty pleasures on television. Tell me if I'm okay for watching these two shows. One is Parenthood, and two is The Good Wife. I'm fascinated by both of them. The Good Wife drew me in because Juliana Margulies is beautiful, and I loved her on The Sopranos, so I gave it a shot last year after the 100,000 ads i seen on CBS promoting it. I loved it. I really enjoyed it. I'm enjoying the second season. And Parenthood's a show that I kind of watched... This summer, I watched the whole first season, and then I taped like the first eight shows of this season and caught up, and I'm really enjoying those two shows. Do you watch either of those shows? What's the future of those shows? Do they have stability? I watch both of those shows, um, and, and I don't think you need to feel <laughs> I don't think you need to feel guilty about either one of those. I mean, uh, Good Wife is an Emmy-winning show. Everybody loves it. Uh, Golden Globes, all sorts of stuff. Uh, and, it, and its future is perfectly stable the show doesn't really do that well among young viewers but cbs doesn't care it does it, you know critics love it audiences who watch it love it um yeah people are happy with that show it's fine uh parenthood is sort of a funny case because parenthood actually does almost identical ratings among young viewers to uh to what the good wife does the difference is that the good wife has a huge audience of older viewers which parenthood does not have parenthood has very few viewers outside of the key demo. Um, yeah, no, parent, Parenthood has a very small audience. Some of the audience is in the demographic that NBC wants. It's also a very upscale show. NBC likes to talk about things like that. It's a show with, with viewers who make a lot of money, so that makes it a decent investment. 
Uh, and it's a show I enjoy. It's it's got a bunch of actors who I who I like. You know, I'll watch Peter Krause and Lauren Graham reading the telephone book. I I don't so much care what they do. Um, I, I like that show. I don't love it, but I watch it regularly and happily. Uh, but what its future is, I don't know. It's it's a lot like Chuck in the respect that any other network would not be bringing Parenthood back, and NBC is in a position where Parenthood may come back because. That's why we love NBC. They keep the couple shows around that you want them to keep around. Right. You know what I love about Parenthood is that, you know, me and my girlfriend will watch the episode and then after we'll kind of talk about some of the family issues and what we would do and, and the arc that they have going on right now with Hattie and her not being allowed to date the, the boyfriend. What do you think of that arc? Is, have, have you enjoyed that? I, that's really, really been the thing about season two, I think, that we've enjoyed the most is kind of talking about what Adam and Christine have done and if we agree with it, how we would have done it differently. It's really an interesting take on parenthood and what you know really does lie ahead for, for regular everyday parents. I, I think that is definitely one of the things about the show that people respond to is that between all the different couples and all the different relationships, you get, you get you know, four or five different dilemmas a week and, and viewers like that. Okay, so we talked a little bit about some of the shows that are out there now that are new. Uh, we talked about Parenthood. We talked about The Good Wife. Um, how's American Idol doing this so far this season? I haven't really watched it at all. I know with the new viewers, and I saw that Simon kind of talked about his uh, show yesterday in a press conference. Do you think that American Idol's kind of going to kind of be out now, and that you know uh, the X Factor is going to take over, or how do you think they're going to do over on Fox? I think that they're going to do just fine at Fox. I think there was some concern about the audience that the show might lose with Simon's departure. And I think if you look at the ratings for the early audition episodes, they're they're basically on par with last year. They're, they might you know they've been a smidge lower some weeks, a smidge higher other weeks. But at the end of the day, you're talking about a ten year old reality TV show that is still the most watched show on TV among young viewers. It, you know, and it's not even close uh, on the networks. So I think Fox is overjoyed with how well American Idol is doing without Simon. But the flip side of that is if American Idol hasn't dropped because viewers missed Simon, will viewers have missed Simon enough to come back for X Factor? And uh, I don't know what the answer is to that. I think it's going to be a, a tricky thing to do to, to convince American viewers that they need that particular talent show. I mean, certainly British viewers needed the X Factor, and you know, there's a reason why the British equivalent of Idol doesn't air anymore, is because X Factor just took away that audience. So we'll see if, if audiences stateside respond the same way. I've been wondering for a long time who the mother is, and I'm getting sick of wondering. Where is How <laughs> I Met Your Mother going? I mean, I don't know. I, I, I really enjoyed the last episode. I thought it was one of the better episodes this season, but I don't know. Where is this show going? I mean, how much longer can they drag this out? It's the ridiculous assumption that some people seem to make that the show has to end when he actually meets the mother, and, and for some people, they feel as if that has to be the finale. And I've never felt that that was the case. I would have been, I'd be perfectly happy if we decided tomorrow who the mother was, and then we spent three or four seasons developing that relationship, maybe. And I don't know why the show is so held, hung up on the idea that that's the only thing we're supposed to care about um and it really is not doing the show any service the the you know who's it going to be I, I don't know that it's that kind of show it shouldn't be a mystery show but it's become a mystery show and and yeah it it irks the heck out of me as well even when i do enjoy episodes like last night's episode i quite enjoyed monday's episode of yeah How I Met a Your Mother. very good episode but i don't know it did it 
I think they've already kind of said Zoe's not the mother. So, I mean, what are we doing wasting our time with this relationship? I don't know. No, it, and that's and that's a perfectly fine question, and it's and it's a question that I've certainly wondered. How much are you supposed to care if we've established that these two people really aren't going to be together for the long haul? So, what's the point? And and I don't disagree with viewers who could be frustrated by that situation. Okay, well, one way that I like to watch TV is I like to get a box set from the Best Buy or Amazon or something like that, and I like to be able to just kind of plow through a season or two of a show, and I've done it with a bunch of different shows. If you were if you were going to watch TV that way and you hadn't seen any shows that were on the rack, what would you pick up? Well, mentioned Friday Night Lights earlier, and that would certainly be a question. Absolutely. I, w- I would say you could just hop into Friday Night Lights. I have several friends who, have ca- who caught up on the first four seasons entirely on DVD, entirely in the last three months, and felt bad that they hadn't watched it before. Uh, you mentioned older shows. The Wire is obviously the first thing I recommend to anybody when they say, what should I catch up on, on DVD if I haven't seen it? So that's an easy one. Um, I myself, I didn't watch The Shield when it aired, and I caught up on the entire series run of The Shield on DVD, and I loved watching it that way. That was a terrific way to watch that show, uh, especially for someone who doesn't love cop shows in general. So I enjoyed catching up like that. So I would say between those three season shows, uh, that would be five seasons for Friday Night Lights as of April 15th, five seasons for... The for now, you didn't mention The Sopranos, so I'm going to assume that in The Sopranos versus The Wire argument, you're on the side of The Wire as the best show of all time. Is Sopranos your number two, or is there something different that you would put as number two? Um, Sopranos is not my number two. Sopranos is comfortably in a sort of top five or top ten, and the rest of the top five or top ten, it sort of shifts, so... Um, you know, if I'm, if I'm enjoying comedy, maybe this week Arrested Development comes in at number two, um, you know, maybe something sort of off the wall, like The Daily Show comes in at number two, but certainly The Sopranos is, is top five or ten, whether it's as high as number two, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't, that's, (laughs) it comes and goes. Were you satisfied with how The Wire closed out its run? Was season five okay with you? Did you feel like season five kind of... I don't know. It just to me, it just was not nearly as good as the other seasons. I kind of was angry with them for kind of making them make me turn against McNulty. I don't want to give too much spoiler information away in case people haven't seen The Wire, because I really want them to, because it's such an incredible ride. But I don't know. Season five, it just didn't quite satisfy me for some reason. Were you satisfied with how they ended the run? I, th- I think season five was, in terms of McNulty at least, sort of a reminder that you were always supposed to distrust McNulty. I mean, from the minute we met him, he's a philanderer, he's an alcoholic, uh, he's a terrific cop, but he's maybe not such a great person. And I think that carries on definitely into the fifth season. The fifth season sort of suffers because the fourth season was so good. It suffers because the first four seasons, all four of them were Amazing. so Amazing, yeah. But third and fourth, I, I can never decide which one I like better, but those two seasons got to be two of the best seasons ever on television. Without any question. And, and for me, it's the third over the fourth, but uh, you know, I know other people have it the other way, and that's totally fine. Good for them. Um, I, I can right. go on. But with the fifth season, it's not as good. It's a little bit more on the nose. It's a little bit more David Simon sort of spelling out certain points he wants to make about the newspaper business. Some people have said that he simply was too close to that world, having been a journalist himself. 
Um, I think if you can divorce the fifth season, at least partially from how fantastic the first four are, it's still a really, really great season of television. And the, the finale of the fifth season, because they knew that this was the end and because they knew, you know, they had to close things off. I think there's an effort made to, to tie up some loose ends, to tie up some character things. And I think some people appreciated how nicely tied up the finale was. Yeah, um, I will agree with that for sure. So yeah, no, I, no, it satisfied me. No, not as good as the third or fourth season. Still perfectly excellent TV. Good stuff. Okay, last thing. Just because it's a sports show and I'm, I'm kind of forced to ask you this. Did you watch the Super Bowl commercials and did any stick out to you? Did you like some more than others? And I don't even know why we have to talk about this but for some reason we do there's this crazy you know culture of let's watch the super bowl because there's great commercials on i don't know but i hey i'm crazy i watched the super bowl for the football but um too (laughs) (laughs) the commercials are there too um i felt like there were a couple standout commercials i think everybody's talking about the the vw kid uh the darth vader vw commercial and i think that was a a very, very good commercial. Some people with Super Bowl commercials, they need a big star to be there or they need it to it feel like a bigger-than-normal commercial, and I think the VW Darth Vader commercial just felt like a normal commercial and just a good one. So I liked that one. I liked the Eminem Chrysler commercial. Um, I thought that was actually weirdly powerful for a commercial. I, I don't know when you suddenly find yourself being moved by a television commercial, but... I felt that was a little bit moving. It didn't make me want to buy a Chrysler in any way, but that's okay. Um, what else did I like? I liked the uh, Coke commercial with the two guards at the border. I thought that was another sort of very simple concept, uh, made its point effectively, put the product front and center. I knew what it was advertising for, so that was good. Uh, yeah, I would say those were probably my top three of the commercials. Anyone bomb out? Any companies make you never want to buy their product because of awful $2 million, 30-second commercials? Oh, I believe that Pepsi wasted a rather impressive amount of money on Pepsi Max. <laughs> I, I think there's, there's a fairly unanimous feeling that nobody walked away from those Pepsi Max commercials thinking, boy, I need to sample Pepsi Max now. Uh, and I think they probably alienated more than a few viewers. So, so that was probably not a good use of their money. Um, GoDaddy continues to throw money at these huge Super Bowl ads, and I, I guess I guess they're accomplishing their goal because otherwise no one would have a clue what GoDaddy was, and no one would ever mention GoDaddy in conversation, and now we do. But boy, they're not turning in good Super Bowl commercials. No, they're terrible. Okay, well, why don't you tell us a little bit about HitFix.com before I let you go. Um, tell us about the website. Um, I know you write on it. Steppenwall writes on it. Pretty famous uh, TV reporter. Um, we, tell us a little bit about the website. Well, we launched uh, about two years ago, a little over two years ago now, and we cover uh, TV, movies, and music um, all equally. So we, we sort of try to give the whole spectrum. As you say, I cover TV, and Alan Seppenwall covers TV. On the movie side, we have uh, Greg Elwood and Drew McQueenie, who some people know from his days at Ain't a Cool News. Uh, on the music side, we have two veterans of Billboard. We have Katie Hasty and Melinda Newman. So really, we're just... Breaking news all the time, you know. If if you want to know what's happening in TV, movies, and music, HitFix is a good place to go. Interviews, all that stuff, and 
And you yeah. do have an iPhone app, which is really cool. I have the iPhone app. Is there any plans to expand it to uh, an iPad app, or are you just saying download it and look at it in the funny uh, <laughs> way that they have the uh, iPhone apps on the iPad? I think we feel as if the um, the site actually looks pretty decent on the iPad. I think I think that's what our, our tech people are saying. But yeah, I mean, certainly someone somewhere is developing something for an iPad. And also, we're developing non-iPhone compatible versions of the site for whatever reason. That's been a little bit slow. Uh, we've got developers constantly working on, on things to sort of improve the user experience at HitFix. So hopefully that's just something that we're going to keep doing. And what about your podcast, Um Firewall and Iceberg, uh, I know it's on iTunes. Can you listen to it on the site? Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit? I'm familiar with the podcast, but maybe some of our listeners aren't. Sure. Uh, Alan Sepinwall and I, we talk about television for sort of a random hour each week, and it's the Firewall and Iceberg podcast. It tends to go up on Monday afternoons whenever we've had the chance, and we review a couple shows a week. We answer uh, reader mail. We talk about sort of what's currently happening in a bunch of shows. You know, uh, we're, do- we're doing a special podcast this week, which is going to be an all Friday Night Lights podcast. So if you want to listen to me and Seppenwall ramble for 85 minutes about the Friday Night Lights finale, that's going up on, uh, Thursday, on Thursday morning at some point. But yeah, we've been pretty regular about getting that sucker up every week. So, so knock on wood. And yeah, you can listen to it on the site. You can also subscribe on iTunes. So yeah, it's available many different ways. Now, we're, the sportscasters, I don't think, have any plans to do an episode in the car, but you guys did pull that off, and I want to congratulate you on the, the podcast that you recorded while driving in the car. That was a, that was a bad idea. <laughs> All right, well, thank you very, very much for appearing on the show. We really appreciate it. Um, hopefully, we'll get you on another time if anything huge happens in TV, but uh, thank you very much. Anything else you want to plug? Oh, no, just uh, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Thanks a lot. All right, bye-bye. Bye. All right, we are back. Last segment here on the Sportscasters for February 8th, 2011. Pick four is always how we end. Uh, it's something we've been doing all along, picking four games each in four different categories. And let's update the progress. Steve. That's, yeah. That's me, Don. Yep. 11 and 5 after the first football season worth of games. Strong 11 and 5. That'll win me a division. Yeah. Get me a bye a lot of times. Yep. Uh, I was 3-1 and one last week. I won with the Packers. One with Ohio State over Michigan, 62-53. One with Oklahoma State over Oklahoma, 81-75. And the only loss was my bull prediction. John Kuhn. Kuhn with the first TD. I don't think he had a carry. was in the game. Yeah, I'm not sure he was either. I saw uh, that was the other fullback Hall, I think. Yeah, Nelson actually had the first TD. That's right. All right, so Don, sadly, Ugh. not a playoff team. No, I need a... 7-9. and nine. Bull predictions would be worth like five points. Yeah, you're 7-9. Seven, <laughs> and nine. Uh, I guess only if you're in the NFC West would that get you in the playoffs. That's right. You were 2-2 two and two last week. You won on the Packers, and you won on over 55, your bold prediction. Nice job. Yep. But you lost on Iowa over Indiana, and you lost on the Sabres over the Pens. Yeah. Now you they should had have, a 2 nothing lead. You should have that said game. that your pick was that the Sabres would maim Malkin. Yeah, Tyler Myers would fall on his knee, and that I was watching that game. That was you don't see that a lot in hockey. Surprisingly, that's kind of like a football injury. Yeah, with an offensive lineman falling on the back of someone's leg. It was a weird injury. It was okay. Pick four. 
All right. First category. Yeah, the big game. Big game. What do you got? It's Duke. No, North Carolina at Duke. I'm going to go with the better team, the better record, the better, the higher rated team at home. I'm going to take Duke to win. This is a great rivalry, and next week we're going to talk about it when we have next week's guest is Luke Wynn from SportsIllustrated.com. He's a college basketball writer. Check him out. He's at Luke Wynn on Twitter. Really cool guy. He's going to join us next week. And uh, I'm going to be proud to tell him that I correctly predicted that Duke would win the home half of the home-and-home with North Carolina. They play uh, later at North Carolina. But what a great rivalry. It's on ESPN at 9 o'clock on Wednesday. Uh, Check it out. But I guess we're both going with Duke. All right, my host choice. Yeah, (laughs) the host choice is uh, Montreal on Saturday. It plays Hockey Night in Canada. I think it's Hockey Day in Canada or whatever this weekend. It is. I'm going to take Montreal at home with the homer calls that they love to get on Hockey Night in Canada over a reeling Toronto team. Okay, my host choice. NHL game as well. Same day, same Hockey Hockey Day in Canada theme. Uh, all six Canadian teams play each other. Right. Uh, I'm going to go with the nightcap, 10.30 on CBC if you get it, or it'll be on the NHL package. I'm going to pick the Vancouver Canucks uh, to win at home over the Calgary Flames. I think Vancouver is one of the best teams in the NHL. I'll probably be picking them. If I were to have to pick a Western Conference Cup team right now, I would pick them, uh, the Sandine Twins. And I read a really good article in uh, Sports Illustrated last week about Ryan Kessler. And uh, his emergence as a star in the league. So I'm going to go with the Canucks on that one. Yeah, there's another interesting game that day, too, is uh, Ottawa-Edmonton. I mean, they're both kind of... Yeah, that's really interesting. Terrible teams. I mean, I almost took Edmonton just because, but yeah, would avoid that mess of a game. The worldwide leader pick, uh, Saturday night, also, 9 p.m., because of John Butchergrass, he doesn't have a college that plays a lot of basketball. No. (laughs) At At least not D1. So because he's from Pittsburgh, I will take... Pitt over Villanova on ESPN Saturday at 9. Damashek would love that pick. Damashek would love that pick. My worldwide leader pick, and of course the worldwide leader uh, is just anything on national TV this week, and no one's going to be watching it, but it is on ESPN 2, the same time that Duke is on ESPN 1. I'm going to bet against my team for the second straight week. (laughs) I'm going to pick Texas to defeat the terrible Oklahoma Sooners basketball team, but you know what, Donnie? Yeah. I'm going to have to ask Luke next week. He actually wrote that Oklahoma's improving. Really? But they couldn't win on the road against a very bad to average Oklahoma Oklahoma State State. team. There's no way, even at home, they're going to be an awesome top three Texas team. My bold prediction, try to go two weeks in a row with the bold predictions, the Cavs in their 25-game losing streak will end sometime this week. And I won't. I'll even take out tonight's game. Tonight they play Golden State, so hopefully they don't win that one because that would mess my pick up too. But uh, they play at Milwaukee and versus Oklahoma City, so hopefully they can get a win on the road at Milwaukee. Okay, I like it. You know what else I like is Jimmer Fredette. You know him? I do not. He's the coolest player in all of college basketball. He's actually from Glens Falls, New York. Okay. You know who else is from Glens Falls, New York? No. Let me give you a clue. Oh! Uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the Hacksaw is from uh, Glens Falls, New York, and so is the Jimmer. And he's a college basketball player for BYU, the number eight team in the country. And they play at home, or they play on the road against Utah uh, Saturday at 10 o'clock. And I'm going to say that Jimmer Fredette is going to go over 40 points wow. on Saturday against Utah. 
that seems bold. It's very bold. Is that it? That, that's all our picks. What a great show. I mean, I love the show today. I hope you guys enjoyed Butcher Grass. I hope you guys enjoyed Feinberg. couple reminders. Check us out on the internet. The, the, the website is www.sports-casters.com. Check us out on Twitter. Uh, the show is at sports underscore casters. Don is at Garbage Radio Don, and I am at Diversity23. Check us out on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash thesportscasters. And feel free to email us about anything you would like, thesportscasters at gmail.com. Don, cue the hip. We'll see you next week with Luke Wynn. All right.